Stop it! Don't open that door! Welcome, listeners, or tasters, touchers, watchers, I don't know, pick your sense and use it to enjoy this podcast. I'm, I'm, I'm non-discriminatory. I, I embrace all of those senses, though uh, any of you who are not listeners, you will be disappointed because this is an audio-only podcast, um, unless you have I like a sonar vision is that i'm not a biologist i don't know how sonar works smell right on that you can have smell a vision which yeah god i hope that's not the case because then you're <laughs> then you're, you're in a really bad mood all kinds of <laughs> anyway <laughs> i'm caleb the non-collector of us and with me is scott the uber collector of us and together we are the masters of unlocking what do we unlock uh, minds perhaps hearts i hope uh treasure chests full of various gold things i i'd I'm not going to say no to that if it happens, (laughs) but mostly we unlock podcast names that serve as a clever inside reference to a seminal survival horror video game from the 1990s. We then massage the meaning of that title to give us privilege to unlock video game news for you, ranging from news of new releases to news that piques each of our own interests Uh, so far with one episode down. If I can make such a statement with such a small sample set, one being that small sample set, Scott seems to lean toward the business side of gaming news and I lean toward the psychological stuff, but together we combine to lean toward the fun stuff. Uh, So with that, let's dive right in, shall we? Let's do it. What's on your playlist right now? What are you doing? Well, I have spent the better part of the last three weeks, I would say, playing Dungeons 2 from Calypso. It's um, a, a remake of the old Dungeon Keeper series for PC, um, and it's, it's I'm having a blast. It's kind of half Sims, half City Builder, and a third half, a bonus half, <laughs> a real-time strategy. That third half is always the best. You know, anytime you can get three halves, I feel like you're doing something right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> or something incredibly wrong. Yeah, but I can finally use my first tip of the cat to polykill and do a hashtag, just beat it. Nice. Oh, man. Well, I, I hope it's been, I hope that game's been everything that you thought it would be. I've heard a lot of good things. I'm a huge fan of... Um, just humorous video games in general, which will lead into a little bit of the game that I'll talk about. But I'm, I'm hoping you enjoyed that one. It was it was a lot of fun. Very humorous. Um, great writing. And if you're if you're a fan of fantasy games, it's it'll be right up your alley because it has sort of tongue in cheek references to Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, um, Warhammer. Uh, you name it. If it's in the fantasy realm, it's not off limits. It's very self aware. Um, breaking the fourth wall the entire way through. Um, I just had a really great time with it. Can I assume that it also has things to offer for people who aren't familiar with those tropes? It does, yeah. I mean, if it, it's it's just a lot of tongue-in-cheek kind of humor. Anybody who's familiar with just fantasy in general, you know, orcs, goblins, hero sort of uh, hero games, it, it's... There's a little bit of something for everyone. The gameplay is a little funky, and it, it's it doesn't hold your hand through it, so it kind of harkens back to that old-school PC game that sort of can leave you um, to fend for yourself and to find your own way. It's very light on the um, hand-holding, and the there's no uh, sort of guidance, so to speak. So that can be frustrating if you're not used to that sort of thing. Nice, nice. Well, as for me, I've been neck deep into Nier Automata. Um, for anyone who follows me on Twitter, I apologize for all of the praise I was heaping upon this glorious, glorious, dare I say, masterpiece. Uh, it's so much better than even everyone who praised it. Uh, so much better than what I thought everyone who was praising it was. You know what I mean? Better than that. Um, it was. It's just such a good, good game. Um, it. I'm brand new to this entire series and. From what I've understood um, uh, by watching sort of watching videos online, being familiar with those storylines would help. Uh, it helps you to appreciate certain references they, that, that that are made in Nier Automata. But 
as someone who's not familiar with those at all, I can tell you it, you absolutely don't have to know about those kinds of things. Um, really, all you kind of need to know, but the game teaches you this, is that uh, it's set many thousands of years into the future. All human beings have been uh, have left Earth. There was an alien invasion long ago. Uh, don't turn your ears off now because alien invasions play a very, very small, almost non-existing uh, part in the, in, the, in the game, really. It just is there for story purposes. Aliens came down. Uh, humans escaped to the moon. Uh, somehow, though I'm not really sure, humans were able to develop uh, very sophisticated androids over the centuries and centuries and put and basically sent them back down to Earth to sort of explore Earth and see what's left and what's happening and just to gather intel. Um, and that's what you play as. You play as a couple of those androids who are sent down to gather the intel. Uh, so what's what's really good about this game, um, other than its combat is amazing, um, it's it, it blends a lot of different genres of games, which usually can go terribly, but they do it very, very well. Uh, it, it plays like... I haven't played a Final Fantasy game in a long time. I think I, I played a little bit of Final Fantasy VII, but... It reminds me a lot of those types of games. It's real-time action combat, uh, but with a lot of side quests and a lot of story and dialogue and just fun things to do. And it never seems to take itself too seriously, which I also really appreciate. Um, for example, the 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 robots that are down on Earth are very cute, almost minion-looking kind of robots for the most part. But all they know of, uh, as, as, as time has passed, these robots have... Uh, developed consciousness of their own. They sort of evolved in the way that you would think of humans as evolving, right? But these robots have actually evolved, and they have evolved in a, to have their own consciousness, and they want to sort of learn about humanity because they, they feel like they want to be humans. And I think it's a play on sort of, uh, you know, the, the creation is made in the image of its god. And so these robots have this weird drive to be humans because they were created by humans originally. So this weird drive to be humans, but they don't really know what that means or how to understand it. So they're trying to learn how to be humans by reading old textbooks and just artifacts and all this kinds of stuff. And there's a scene in the game where you watch a bunch of robots put on a play, a Romeo and Juliet play. And it's hilarious because it it cuts right to actually what Romeo and Juliet was kind of about, but without all of the excess. It's a little five-minute play, stage play, that they put on. And the game is full of weird things like that. There's robots who... Uh, are, are trying to be philosophical, but they're really not. There, there's robots who um, wear bows in their hair for no reason other than they've seen humans do it, and so they don't understand what a bow means. And and those are all kind of the side characters that you that you meet and talk with. The main narrative of the story is very much an action kind of driven story. So I, I've I it's it's also very self aware in that it plays with it, it breaks the fourth wall by playing with. Um, uh, by by playing with the tropes that you would expect out of, of even a video game itself. So, for example, it messes with the UI in some instances. Um, uh, another example is you uh, have a chip upgrade system. That's sort of your skill tree in this game, and you can add chips and take away chips. And there's literally one of the chips that's your OS. And if you remove the chip, you die, and that's the end of the game. And it literally will scroll the credits uh, just like it's the end of the game. And there's 26 endings in this game. You can, you know, and, and that's one of them. So some of them are very quick and just kind of funny. Um, but there's, I think, three or four main uh, stories, uh, main endings. And to really beat the game, you actually have to beat all three or four of those endings because then you get the full story. Um, your first playthrough, you're playing as a, a, an android called 2B, and she's great. She's fantastic. And then the second playthrough, you play as... Uh, an android, her partner, uh, which is 9S, and 9S is with, during the first playthrough, 9S follows you and is your companion and, and kills everything for you and helps you out and everything, but there are certain points of the game where 9S isn't there for, for you, or he's trapped somewhere, or he's doing something else. The second playthrough, you actually kind of follow the same main story progressions, but there are times when you then get to play as 9S during those times when he wasn't there, and it overlaps and overlays very, very well. You never feel like you're having to rehash uh, story bits. Uh, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on my second playthrough right now of the three or four, and I plan on going the whole way. But during the second playthrough, I don't feel like it, it doesn't, it still feels like a good, fresh new game. Oh, nice. And I think, yeah, it's, 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 I think one of the reasons that, or one of the ways that the developer, one of the very smart decisions they made is that when you play the second time through, you get to keep all of the experience, all of the weapons, all of the items, everything that you actually gathered through the first playthrough. So it's sort of a new game plus. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, and so you're not forced to, if you had a really good weapon, you're not forced to go refine that weapon and spend hours doing that. You're not forced to 
um, you know, just do a bunch of crap that you can't do. And the enemies do level up a little bit with you, but I'd be lying if I said the second playthrough wasn't a little bit easier. Not that the game's really that difficult. Um, but it's, there, there's just not a lot I can say about this game other than, and I'll leave it here because I feel like I've already ruined this podcast. Uh, sorry, listeners, but you tasters and, and touchers and, and smellers are all just fine, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, it, it, it's, it's probably... Uh, it, it, to my mind, a better, or at least a more fun game than Breath of the Wild, honestly, uh, wow. for 2017. And I am a huge Breath of the Wild fan. I will, I will, uh, support that game and talk about that game every chance I get. Um, and up until playing Nier Automata, it was absolute, my absolute favorite. I was like, there's nothing that can beat Breath of the Wild. And I think Nier Automata has. So that, that's high praise. We'll I, I yeah. so Nier Automata has been on my backlog and I'd actually been putting it off because I hadn't yet played Nier. And mm. so to hear you say that you don't really have to play it and you can kind of dive in and, and pick up on sort of the backstory line, backstory and, and the world knowledge without having played that first one is actually, I, I enjoy that because maybe I'll, maybe I'll dive into that now that I'm done with Dungeons 2. I'll, I'll join you in this, uh, uh, this world where no other game but Nier Automata exists. <laughs> I feel like there's a few other members of the Cartridge Club. When I logged into... Uh, my PlayStation, uh, I saw that Flock of Nerds, um, I don't know if it was Miles or Catherine playing, but the Flock of Nerds account at least was playing. Uh, and I love seeing that because it, you can see almost in real time that uh, someone's talking about the game and praising the game and talking about it on Twitter. And then you see someone who you know is kind of in your circles playing it and you feel like you helped make that decision for them to play it. You know, I don't want to be so e- egotistical as to say I was the reason that they're playing it, but I make those connections and it kind of just feels good to know that there's other people out there playing it. And it's it's a small little groundswell and that's what the Cartridge Club does really well. The same thing happened when we all played uh, Wolfenstein, uh, The New Order. Um, it's just someone mentions a game and everyone thinks that sounds really cool and fun and interesting and just organically everyone kind of starts playing it. And I think that's what's happening now with, with Nier Automata. So, yeah, you'd be joining the crowd. That's one of the things I really love about the Cartridge Club. Uh, so often my my game collection is sort of like the my Netflix screen where I spend more time just sitting, staring at the Netflix catalog and scrolling through, looking <laughs> at from title to title to title than I actually do play watching Netflix. And it's the same way with games. I stand there and try to think, God, do I want to play that next? Or do I want to play this next? I'm not really in the mood for this. So having sort of, uh, someone else say, Hey, we're all playing this. You should play it too. I kind of like that. I kind of like, uh, having some direction. (laughs) Are you scared? That's going to pull you away from the collecting aspect because if you are so enamored with the visual appeal of, of, you know, seeing these rows and rows and covers, these nice stacked, neat covers and, and, and your, your, basically your library, your catalog is right there. Perusing through that is half the fun of collecting, I would assume, if now you have people pulling you away from that, that, that aspect and actually forcing you to play some of these games. Are you a little scared? You're going to sell off your whole collection tomorrow? <laughs> no, I think, I think it's safe. I think, I think it'll, <laughs> I think it'll be safely locked away for, for a while now, at least. I don't think Good. there's a, I don't think there's a mass mass market sell off coming quite yet. <laughs> if so, that would be uh, people would people who found that would find some some great um, this this transition is terrible. What kind of archaeo- uh, what kind of games did you pick up recently? <laughs> 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 I was trying so hard and it just didn't work. Hey, they can't all be winning, you know. They can't all be winning transitions. Don't tell me that. It's the only thing I have to live for. <laughs> Well, most of the, the pickups that I've gotten lately are, um, I've picked up a bunch of limited run game stuff. Um, they've had quite a few releases lately. Um, I'm really looking forward to, they've, they've announced that down the road here, as soon as they're done with all of the stuff that they've already announced through, um, through this year, they're going to start slowing their, slow their roll a little bit and start take the, the the foot off the gas on the release schedule because it's it's crazy when they're coming out with two games every other week and the collector's editions of it and I look at the look through my PayPal log at all the you know <laughs> all the spending I go go through with limited run games and I just kind of shake my head but um, so a lot of limited run games um, Sonic Mania just showed up today so looking forward to checking that out although I'm torn I may I may, since it doesn't, the collector's edition of it doesn't come with a physical game. It's just a, a digital code in there. So I'm torn whether I may just spin that off and, and trade it for something else that I'm looking for and wait for a true physical edition. Um, but it, it, the game looks pretty cool, so we'll see. 
Um, and then Sign Mora X that just showed up. It's a, it's a budget release from THQ. Um, picked up a huge lot of OG Xbox games. Uh, Xbox is one of the systems that I'm working towards a complete library on. Uh, and I'm probably... I'm not anywhere close. I would say <laughs> I'm only probably between a third and a halfway to uh, to the set. So I still have probably close to you know, 500 games or so to go on the system. I think there's something like, well, maybe not that many, maybe 400. I think there's something like 800 systems or 800 games for it, 900, something like that. Um, wow. And nothing really of note that I picked up for it. Just a lot of uh, snickle fritz that fills in gaps in the in the collection. And then I did pick <laughs> up a couple more PlayStation One long boxes. So I'm, of the 120 um, PlayStation long boxes, which include variants, I'm down to under 20 of them left now. So I'm on sort of the home stretch on that little mini subset collection. And then the last thing that I picked up over the last uh, week or so, um, and something that I'm pretty excited and had been waiting for for really almost half a year now, I think, is the open source scan converter. I ordered the open source scan converter, which for those that don't know is is an upscaler. Well, really, it's a, it's a line doubler. Um, and so it takes 240p signal and makes it doubles the lines to make it a 480 signal uh, to really make it upscale nicely uh, onto a, a um, HD TV um, or or a CRT if it does 480. Um, and it does so lag free, unlike the Frame Meister, which introduces a, a frame or so of lag. So. Um, really been looking forward to that um, and doing some some testing to have that set up on one TV and the frame Meister set up on another TV so that I can kind of see in real time what does the one frame of leg mean how does it really mm. affect things and how do they how do they look really in 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 conjunction next to each other um, so that I think that'll be fun that sounds like a really good YouTube video you know just to have this these comparisons of, of the different frame rates and frame styles and just see kind of what that looks like yeah absolutely i think it it's kind of unique because i have the two two tvs set up right next to each other i have all of the systems running through um the gscart switches and the g comp switches made by uh, g retro stuff they're all purely designed for high quality automatic signal switching for specifically for retro gaming um and then that's the the g g scart switch light does dual scart output so i can run one to the frame meister one to the ossc and then run those to different tvs and have sort of a real-time comparison i think that would make a really nice video yeah definitely definitely well, you mentioned all of these uh, many, many games coming up from uh, from limited run games, and I unfortunately have to, uh, I guess, commiserate with you on that. It, it's crazy. Just this last week, um, five games came in uh, for me, got sent sent to me from limited run games: um, Oceanhorn, Plague Road, Jotun or Jotun, uh, Drive, 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 and Neurovoider. Um, of those, uh, I had not played or really heard much of Drive, 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 and Eurovoider, but I am really looking forward to playing them. Uh, the other three, um, I have been looking forward to playing for actually quite a while, um, especially Jotun. But even though I've heard that their follow-up, Sundered, was, was is, is not that good, um, looks great, but just doesn't play that play that well or isn't really that fun to some degree. So, uh, but I've heard Jotun is very, very good. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely talk more about limited run games, I think, in, in our current events down below. Um, but I'm with you. They they are releasing a lot of games. Luckily, though, it's very it's it's a good signal to, signal to noise ratio. They're great games that I've played so far. Um, I have a, a small stack of ones that I haven't yet had the time to play, but they're all really really fun games. So I'm glad they're releasing them. But the schedule is a little bit nuts. I think this last week where I get five games uh, sent, uh, I, I received five games that I had ordered. Uh, was also a result of the production schedules. Um, sometimes uh, you you they may release a couple games every month, or uh, maybe even you know three or four games every month. But sometimes those don't actually get uh, packaged and shipped or, or produced really until a certain time, and then you may all of a sudden receive like I did uh, within the span of a week five games. So yeah, I, I'm constantly so I have all of my limited run games 
sort of separated from the rest of the PlayStation 4 and Vita collection. And really the only way I know what hasn't shown up yet, because I order them all, is looking at the spine numbers and saying, Mm -hmm. oh, I'm missing number 35. What the heck was 35? Oh, God, I ordered that four months ago. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit nuts. It's a bit nuts. Let's see if I can do this one. Are you ready? I'm ready. Fire it up. All right, here we go. Speaking of anticipating games and collecting that's a very general one metroid samus return gets a new nintendo 3ds xl uh console but caveat here no copy of the game comes with that which i found a little strange and maybe i'll I'll throw it to you here in a bit to put some context and help me understand whether or not that truly is strange but I think it's very strange to release a console, uh, especially a, a console specific to a certain game, and not have the game included, even if it was a digital game. Um, but that's just me. Is that, is that normal? Does is that usually how the 3DS has happened? I'm not. I haven't really had a Nintendo handheld since the Game Boy. So, yeah, you know, most of the most of the Nintendo handhelds I've purchased, really, the only one that's themed that I've bought that I purchased was the the Pikachu one that came out. Um, I think was sort of just prior to the the metroid one um and, but i think that came with a digital copy of uh, a pokemon game i haven't actually opened it because um, i still i have my regular dsxl that i use it just seems bizarre I, I think i feel like there should at least be a digital copy of the game on the thing not having the copy makes me feel like and this is the the conspiracy theorist i guess or i guess maybe just i'm i'm simply uh frustrated that big companies are starting to see that collectors are a lucrative market whereas uh by definition collectors generally tend to be a niche market and probably i would guess tend to not represent a huge share of a business's profit right uh most people aren't going to have aren't going to have a full set of Xbox, original Xbox games, for example. You will soon be one of those people, but most people don't have that, and I and, and companies know that. You know, they're not banking on the collector. When it comes to something like this, it makes me fear that, that they are sort of banking on the collector and not necessarily on the game itself or the fans of the game itself. And I, I felt this way, I think, about most of the DS line. There's way more DSs than there really needs to be. Oh, absolutely. Um, Nintendo's always been a master of this, at getting people to buy the same thing multiple times. I mean, they they have... You look at it going all the way back, really, to the N64. You can see all of the the, the what fantastic N64 sets that are all different colors and mm-hmm. had double, triple, quadruple dips there as well. And it, it as a collector, does it anger you at all to know that you, you, you've come this far as a collector... You essentially are there. You're forced to give them your money. Essentially, I mean, you're in too deep to really stop doing it. Not really. I mean, I I think it's it's sort of a way for them to address the market that's willing to pay. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they need to make a certain amount of revenue in order to to please shareholders and and I guess keep the lights on is probably hyperbole, but. Um, I think it's a way for them to increase their market share, increase their revenue, increase their growth from year to year while not having to fleece uh, individual gamers on a single unit price. You know, if, if you're if you're a collector and you're willing to fork over the cash and you want to have six different 3DS XLs, um, you know, more power to you. And if you're uh, somebody who just wants to play games and and buying a 3ds xl is something that you have to save up for i mean it's no small purchase for most folks um then you know rather than price that person out of the market i'd rather see them go this route Mm -hmm. it is a really nice looking ds though i will say that it makes me sad that i have this stupid pikachu one and not this (laughs) this samus one because it it is badass looking yeah it's it's really nice i almost am uh I don't know. There, there's been so many times that I've been tempted to buy a DS. Um, for a while, I was in the Vita market because this was shortly after I bought the PlayStation 4. Uh, Vita was already essentially gone, but there were so many good games still coming out for it, and I was I was very tempted. I almost pulled the trigger on a Vita at one point, and then every time there's a new iteration of a 3DS or or DS really, any DS, um, I'm almost I'm so tempted to pull the trigger. Uh, but now I have a Switch, and I'm I'm one of those people that if I have a Switch, I don't 
no matter how good the games are on the on the DS systems, I know that they are not long for this world, and I'm just going to maintain hold on the Switch. So maybe that's part of it is is maybe Nintendo is uh, wanting to continue to you know make money off the DS line, knowing that the Switch is still there. Do you feel that they're eventually going to discontinue any handheld system and really focus just on the Switch, or do you think they're too much uh, of a they, they have too much of, uh, of a, of a I guess a, a hand in the game, to so to speak, for um, multiple systems, multiple consoles, and multiple multiple revenue channels. You know, I I initially when when the Switch was first being announced and first coming out, before I ever got a chance to have hands on with it, I really did think that it was going to be sort of the replacement for both the handheld and the console line, be a hybrid that allows them to focus on one hardware product and and support that. Um, but after having played the switch and using it uh, in mobile mode as well as console mode i really don't think it's truly a replacement for their handheld line um it's really quite frankly not all that portable Mm -hmm. um it's it it feels when i when i take it around with me if i don't have it in the hard case it i feel like i'm gonna break it um and it's big and it doesn't really fit in, you know, uh, like a, you can't just toss it in a backpack like you can a nice clamshell DS. You don't even have to really, if you don't care about sort of chipping that gorgeous picture of Samus on the cover, um, you don't have to put it into a case or anything. You just close it up, you put it in your pocket, you close it up, you throw it in your backpack. You, you know, it, it it's very mobile friendly. Um, and I'm not really a mobile gamer to start with. I don't really like playing on a small screen and that I, I have way more mobile games and or portable games than anybody who doesn't like playing portable games should ever have. <laughs> um, but most of my portable gaming is done on the on the TV. Um, I've used the switch in mobile mode very few times and most of that was just trying to test it out, see how it works and sort of put it through its paces. Um, but my Vita gaming is almost exclusively done through PlayStation TV. All of my Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance gaming is done through either a Super Game Boy or the Game Boy Player on the uh, GameCube. Um, and I just recently picked up the a consoleized game gear made by the Bihar Bros, um, who make the excellent uh, Dreamcast Toro um, boxes for um, VGA. Uh, and so, I mean, really, most of my 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 handheld gaming is virtually non-existent. Um, mm. So I'm probably a poor person to really answer that question in in any depth. What about you? What are you, what are your thoughts on it? Um, I think they will. I, I'm with you that I don't think it'll take over. Um, the I don't think they'll discontinue the the DS anytime soon uh, for the very reasons you mentioned. It's not portable. You can't put a switch in your pocket unless you have very big pockets. I wonder though if they will take what they've learned from the switch and try to st- and try to either make it smaller to some degree without sacrificing the controls themselves. Um, Will they, so that it can be portable, so that it can actually fit in a pocket uh, in a similar way that a DS can. You know, imagine if, if the DS were um, slightly thicker and the the uh, f- top and bottom flaps kind of had overlays on top of them that slid off and those were the controllers to, or, or something like that to where you can actually have controllers on the DS as well. Um, I, I think that's crazy, obviously. That, that I don't think that'll happen. The DS screen is just logistically too small to really have tons of people crowding around it and playing a game. But I, I think if, if, if any company can maintain a market share for portable and slightly less portable, um, then I think Nintendo can do it. They'll find a way to do it. And maybe that, maybe that's full circle. Maybe this, this design gimmick, this adding new characters to DSs and keep continuing to release them is a way to ensure artificially perhaps, but still ensure that there is a a sustainable market for these DSs. I don't know. Well, and frankly, I mean, Nintendo has really always been good with their first party games about taking advantage of their bizarre hardware um, mm-hmm. you know, structures, whether it's touchpad or motion gaming or, or um, you know, the, whatever the 4d rumble switch controllers, whatever the hell they're called, um, <laughs> you know, milking the cow and feeling, feeling its balls and things like that. <laughs> wait, 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 that was a game. I, yeah. <laughs> That's one, oh, two, one, two milkman, right? <laughs> one, one, two farmer oh. Brown. 
I do feel though that there will be uh, there will be implications for the Switch beyond what we know. I was watching a video recently about I think it was the, the latest Angry Video Game Nerd video actually, where he go went through all of the peripherals that existed for the Game Boys over the years, and, th- and there was a lot of peripherals that I wasn't aware of. Some niche ones that I was aware of, your barcode boy, your printer, that sort of thing, but there was a lot of them that I wasn't aware of. There was one that um, was meant to that actually had like an oxygen. Uh, oxygen mask connected to it to allow kids to be calm as before they go under sur- go in for surgery, right? It, really? It, I don't know why they had to connect it to the Game Boy. You can't you just give them a Game Boy and let them be focused on that to calm them down? But anyway, that's the way it was. It was actually a peripheral that connected to the Game Boy. So there's a lot of weird things like that, and I anticipate the Switch will do the same thing. I made a video not too long ago um, where I, I made a very brief comment about if a Switch had... Uh, if switch controllers, you imagine the Joy Cons um, were attached to a, a a an anatomically correct fake foot, right? And so it was used to maybe teach massage classes on the feet, right? So you could actually massage this peripheral, and you would get feedback on the screen indicating if you're massaging it correctly or not correctly, that sort of thing. And of course, there's probably very some some. Plenty of gross, disgusting robot sex type things that would be applicable as well. I'm sure well, it'll happen. A, a Japanese company would never never stoop that low yeah i think they probably led the r&d department with hey guys i want you to make something that we can use for sex stuff <laughs> and if you want to also add video games to it that's totally cool that's fine so there's there's definitely a culture in in japan right now that is only using the switch for sex stuff and they they incentivize them by saying and guys if you are successful we'll refill the panties in the vending machine <laughs> That got them moving. Yeah. That got them moving. Yeah. You know, you know, you know, what gets me moving. Shenmue three finding a publisher. Oh man, I, I I'm a huge Shenmue fan, and I I now I backed the Kickstarter back in 2015, and have been waiting not so patiently ever since. Um, have you? Are you a Shen Shenmue fan? Have you played no, I, much of one? I or kind two? of overstated my enthusiasm with uh, you know it gets me moving because I've actually not played any of the Shenmue <laughs> games. I was just trying to redeem myself from the horrible transition I made earlier. But thanks for calling me out for it. Yeah, jerk. you know, you know, I I'm I'm trying to just set you up so you can spike it. But you know, I'm a short guy. I can't play volleyball. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm with you too. Uh, I'm, I'm there. <laughs> but so Shenmue three. Now a lot of people have been really looking forward to this it was announced at e3 in 2015 and and they sort of spun that um that announcement right immediately into a kickstarter and absolutely blew it out of the water in in kickstarter land in it took them nine hours to reach their goal of two million dollars and after the the 30 day window for the kickstarter was up they had made 6.3 million dollars making it the highest earning i guess earning isn't really the right word but highest funded game uh in kickstarter history um and i mean no no doubt i mean people have been or not no surprise i should say people have been waiting for the third shenmue it was originally planned by yu suzuki as a trilogy um first one came out in 1999 for the dreamcast and then quickly was followed in 2001 in japan and the eu only uh on the dreamcast with shenmue 2 came out in 2002 here in the states on the xbox um and then leaves you in a cliffhanger and nothing uh, for fifth, basically 15 years. Um, so everybody's sort of been, everybody who's played Shenmue and loved it, it's it's sort of a, a mix of role-playing game, open-world game, fighting game, um, and it's it was done by Yu Suzuki and his studio Sega AM2, which prior to Shenmue was really most well-known for arcade games. They had done uh, Hang On, Outrun, you know, racing, some of the racing and fighting games that, that Sega Arcade, Sega's arcade brand was really well-known for, Virtua Fighter, things like that. Um, so switching into more of the RPG realm was really uh, a pretty big paradigm shift for them. Uh, but they, they knocked it out of the park. It's really um, sort of one of the seminal Dreamcast games that people think of as in the pinnacle of the of the Dreamcast library. A library that's really d- is great from top to bottom. Um, one of the real sad console stories uh, in video game history is the, the fate of the Dreamcast. Um, but as going back to Shenmue 3 and it supposedly it's on track for a 2018 release um, and you know like most kickstarted 
games you just you never know so you, you sit through a long slog of a wait and hope someday to see your product uh, but it's it's a good sign that they just announced this week that they've got a publisher lined up for worldwide distribution that's deep silver uh, deep silver is probably most well known for working on doing the publishing on the dead island series taking over saints row series after thq went belly up um, and recently released the the dreamfall chapters uh collection but they're probably probably most infamously known, although you know, somewhat unfairly, because they didn't develop it. They were also the publisher of the panned Mighty Number no. Nine. Mm. So let's hope it goes more Dead Island, Dreamfall chapters, and less Mighty Number no. Nine. Mighty Number no. Nine redeemed itself when it also uh, became Mighty Gunvolt Burst. Um, so you know, it, when you when you when you take a, a terrible game and you sprinkle on just a little bit of so much better of a game, uh, then somehow you come up with a winner. So I, you know, Mighty Number no. Nine, I feel redeemed itself by being a small part of an already great game. That's what I say. Well, as a Kickstarter backer for Shenmue Three, I just hope that I get my game on release day and not, you know, a year after release day, like the Mighty Number no. Nine Kickstarter backers. You would hope not, with with six million dollars um, to play with, or that they have played with. And I know there's there's a lot of that goes into the you know that that's not profit that goes into people's pockets you know that's money that has to be used and so it, in video game terms six million dollars to develop such a highly anticipated or beloved game from a series probably isn't a whole lot but uh, but yeah you would think that they that they would have um, a good understanding good control of it um, let me ask you why did Shenmue three take so long do you know I think a lot of it was. It, it it Shenmue 2 didn't really sell well here in the States. Um, and I don't know if that was just a product of it. it for the original Dreamcast lineup, it didn't, it definitely stuck out. You know, it was more, more Fable, less, less Halo. Um, mm-hmm. And I think because of the sales, the struggling with the sales, it just never got a chance to get greenlit. And you can, comp- you you combine that with just the struggles that Sega had in general. Um, Sega is not a company. People think of Sega as this giant, you know, international video game company, which they are to some extent. But in terms of comparing them to the Nintendos and the Sonys of the world, they're really a small company. Um, the Dreamcast was basically funded, you know, by by a single. Uh, a single donor really to to Sega um, and it was on its last legs then um, and then when when he went belly up uh, really so did Sega um, so I think it was a combination of uh, a somewhat risky property a risky title and despite how well known and how loved it was by the people that actually played it um, and Sega's troubles would be my my take on it and that's entirely my own gut. I have no proof for that whatsoever. Well, uh, do you think that uh, donor who went belly up could redeem himself by winning the Nintendo World Championships 2017, which have been announced? Hey, you know, he, he, <laughs> maybe, he maybe could. He, he would probably have a heck of a lot more of a chance of winning this thing than I would. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's lead with the obvious question. Um, does anyone care about the Nintendo World Championships 2017? Uh, even in the retro community, I have not heard too much enthusiasm for it. No, I mean, they they did sort of a reboot of the World Championships back in 2015 mm-hmm, as the mm-hmm. 25th anniversary. And that was just an utter shit show. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, it was sort of this weird amalgamation of singles play and team play and uh, partner play and didn't really make a whole lot of sense as a world championship. How do you tell who does well and like who stands out in something like a Splatoon tournament, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, so I think this one, it, it looks like it's, it's more sort of standard competition fair, like a uh, Mario Kart seven with time mm-hmm. trial run. Um, so it's sort of your skill against the, the other people's skill in individual trials, uh, so I think the structure of it's better, but really I think it's it's a very thinly veiled attempt to get people into. I think it's being held at Best Buy stores is mm-hmm. the, the initial run, um, 
but I think it's sort of a thinly veiled attempt to get people in to play Mario Odyssey. Yeah, and th- thinly is probably putting it gen- uh, generously. I think it <laughs> <laughs> it's it's even in the official release, it's based. It says players will have the ability to play uh, Mario Odyssey. Um, yeah, the the trials, the the qualifiers, I guess they call them, um, are going to be held in Best Buy stores, as you mentioned. Uh, and they're only playing Mario Kart 7 in those qualifiers, which I thought was kind of strange uh, that there's really only going to be one game to define how, if, whether or not you qualify for the actual championship in New York, I believe. Yep. There's not really anything said about what's going to happen at the championship in New York, uh, which is fine. Um, I honestly don't anticipate it being much of an event. I, I really think the Nintendo World Championships is something that existed as as an important landmark in video game history, but the world surrounding video games, the entire culture of video games, uh, the the um, huge arenas that that video game competitions fill these days, it's really sort of it's it's really deflated any sort of uh, uh, impact that Nintendo World Championships could could ever make in my mind. But Nintendo is also a company that's generally full of surprises and can make things that you think shouldn't work actually work. So maybe there will be some sort of angle on this. I'm hoping that angle's not just if you attend these championships, you get a super rare amiibo or something like that, because then, you know, then then that just, I, I don't know. I'm hoping it's not something that simple. Yeah, no, and it, it is sort of weird that you know, with all of the the news and all of the 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 hype surrounding the Switch, that the the trial isn't even a Switch game. They're going to be mm-hmm. 3DS games, which I think, unless unless you have sort of an a, a setup at every one of these Best Buy stores that are, is going to let people watch and really take part in it, it's almost like you have people standing in a line to do sort of a single solitary act all on their own without any sort of um, you know, fanfare or any sort of, you know, cheering or rooting. I, I just don't think they're going to have, I, I doubt I would say, I, I would guess that they're going to have, you know, 3DSs with video out hooked up to all the TVs in Best Buy. That might be kind of a cool situation, but I highly mm-hmm. doubt it'll end up be looking anything like that. No, I, considering the only place we're really hearing about it is on a couple of news sources. I mean, it's a PR, it's a, just a press release right now, but there's just a couple of, of video game news sources out there. Even a, even a lot of the big n- video game news publishers are doing little more than just simply copying and pasting the press release. So I, I don't think there's just enthusiasm anywhere for it. Uh, if they did do big shows at Best Buys, that'd be great, but that's also going to require funding to do the advertising and marketing for that. Um, Best Buys, being a brick and mortar store probably don't really get that much foot traffic anyway. So you're really not going to have, I don't think too many people just wandering by and and wondering what's that and having crowds gather. So there's going to have to be some sort of offline promotion as it gets closer to the event. I also don't know, have they announced which best buys or or how many best buys this is going to be held at? Do you know? I think they did. I think they released a a schedule for it. I think they're, they're sort of all over. There's one in New York, a couple in California, Illinois, Texas, Minnesota, which is Best Buy's headquarters yeah. store. Um, there you go. Yeah, there's about eight of them. Yeah. Um, and actually, it does say. I mean, they started. They start on the 19th. So I was, I was, I was for some reason thinking it was months away, but it's already starting. Um, so I would be very interested to know uh, what's going to happen with this. Well, that I take that back. I'm not interested at all to know what's going to happen with this. <laughs> <laughs> well, if I if I remember correctly, the the 2015 uh, championship. I think they actually had a pretty good turnout. I remember I, I didn't go to any of them, but I remember hearing someone mention that there were, you know, people lined up sort of around the store waiting to 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 play uh, in the tournament. But I mean, that's all anecdotal. I don't have any anything to back that up. Well, you know, uh, one one area where anecdotal uh, observation, observational evidence really is not uh, feasible is in the world of science. Which leads me to our next article. Oh, this man, that we talk about set and spike. That, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, is how podcasting is done. <clears throat> when you think the masters of unlocking, think the masters of transitions. Oh, so good. <laughs> so, so good. This is an article that I've been wanting to talk about for a while. Um, 
because it just tickles all of my right spots. Uh, so this is... Uh, and we all know artic- how much Caleb loves <laughs> to have his right spots tickled. <laughs> I like to have the wrong spots tickled, too. <laughs> how do you know what's the right spots unless you experiment with a few wrong spots? You're an equal op- right? opportunity tickler. Yeah. Or tickly, I guess. <laughs> that sounds horrible. Yeah. Mm. Um, so uh, this is uh, an article from uh, the the place doesn't really matter because it's actually just a a, a it's it's about a a, a a a paper that was recently released. So this article is called "Hardcore Players of Violent Video Games Do Not Have Emotionally Blunted Brains." And I know what you're thinking, listeners. You're thinking that this is uh, yet another sort of one side of the video games are violent argument, and it's back and forth. He said, she said, it's never going to end. Well, that's probably right uh, frankly they're probably thinking we've just listened to you two idiots for half an hour we know you have blunted brains <laughs> but but it's not because of video games <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's the important part here okay uh, so, so back in uh in 2015 uh the american psychological association released a report um that was supposedly confirming that video games uh, make their players aggressive. Um, and of course, as with anything uh, and such a divisive topic, there's going to be a lot of people pouring in opinions and saying that's not true. There's going to be support for it. It's just going to be a crazy, crazy cluster F. Uh, and keep in mind, this is many, many years after the uh, you know, the, the senatorial hearings on video game violence that took place in the mid-1990s, mid-maybe, I think 94-ish, 5-ish, something yeah, around there. Well, it was it was Night Trap's release, and that's 20, this was the limited run games release was the 25th anniversary, which we'll get into, I think, in just a minute. But So that must have been two, 1992, 93? That's, that's, a, that's a level of deduction I would not have thought about you're absolutely right <laughs> um i just never thought i'm not of a mathematician t- or anything <laughs> so this article the, re- the reason i like this article and the reason i bring it up is not just because it tickles all those spots i mentioned earlier um but because it uh, introduces another uh, paper that was recently released uh in brain imaging and behavior magazine or the journal of brain imaging and behavior which i I don't really need to correct that. I'm assuming you all have subscriptions. You know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a paper that does, um, it provides a, 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 what it does is it really digs into a key argument of that violent video games um, uh, conversation. And that's that violent video games cause aggression. Uh, And specifically over time, excessive violent gameplay um, desensitizes the user, desensitizes the player. So uh, with that specific um, element in mind rather than just a blanket statement video games cause violence video games cause aggression they, they they specifically said you know violent video games cause aggression in players over time and desensitizes them emotionally and they did a study um, I, I you can just look it up look up the the brain imaging and behavior uh, study um, paper uh, you'll find it yourself um, or if we have you know some show notes we might put it in there if you find it on Twitter I'm sure I'll tweet it out but it goes through kind of the study of what they do the controls the variables all this kind of stuff so as a scientifically minded person you can look at it and say yeah, that's, that makes sense. They, they really did that well. Um, but what it kind of showed uh, was that uh, they, they don't uh, really cause uh, problems. Well, I won't say they don't cause problems. So what's, what it really just suggests, and this is uh, a quote from, um, I want to get his name right if I scroll up here. It looks like, well, it's a quote from the person who, who wrote the paper, I believe. Um, our results suggest a need to rethink the entire desensitization hypothesis. Um, and that's important because uh, if the hypothesis itself is just faulty, um, then of course the, the, the studies that try to prove that hypothesis need to be relooked at. And so one of the uh, one of the things to keep in mind is that there's probably a lot of different layers. So they're not saying that uh, that if, that violent video games don't desensitize the player. They're saying that maybe it just uh, affects the brain in different ways than we thought. So maybe it's not necessarily that playing violent video games affects how players act in response to emotional stimuli, you know, maybe like they're desensitized to uh, real life murders, but maybe it just changes how that brain initially processes the stimuli. But there's also then studies to suggest that play, uh, that playing violent video games could actually lead to enhanced moral emotions, that people are actually better able to discern uh, morality. Um, there's also the, 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 the side of the card where, it, you know, the, the effect of violent video games could depend on which character you play as. Um, the example they use in this article is, you know, if you play, your, play a Superman or the Joker, you're probably going to have a different experience. And that's especially important when now we have games that are very story-driven and, and gamers are able to choose their story in a much more organic way than they could in the past. 
I, I think studies like this are, are important to me, not only because they defend my passion, and of course I'm biased like that. I want to find studies that reaffirm my beliefs already. Um, I'm a horrible person, but that feels good to me. Uh, but it also opens up the door, I think, for video games to be used as proxies for even more interesting studies. Like, you know, I would love to see, uh, I would love to see something that was um, something similar to uh, some you might you might remember Scott. I don't know if you ever knew about this, but the World of Warcraft was at one time going to be used by the Center of, for Disease Control to study how epidemics spread. Uh, there was actually a glitch in the in the game that caused uh, this. I think it's called corroded blood virus or or something like that, um, where it was it would actually infect players, and as as players got near to other players, it would infect them as well, and essentially leading to death. It was a glitch. It wasn't supposed to be there, but it was really interesting from a uh, from a from a, a a disease control perspective to wow. sort of study that that epi- academic epidemic. Unfortunately, uh, the creators of, of World of Warcraft they couldn't allow the scientists to really use this data because it was a glitch. It wasn't something that they could really you know keep in the game, um, so they had to get rid of it. But I like the idea of using games as these proxies for real life, uh, especially as again stories become more organic and people can choose which paths they wanted to go. I think it'd be really interesting to take a kid that maybe all other um, studies, maybe uh, maybe research has shown this particular kid is primed to be violent or primed, primed to be bad in some degree, and let them play an open world game and see what kind of decisions they make. It, are there are there hypotheses about this child replicated in this child's behavior in the game? And furthermore, can the game itself uh, be told in a way to sort of nurture the child away from those decisions? And that could help teach us as adults maybe something about how to interact with kids that you may feel be on a bad path. I don't know. I just get really excited when I when I see these kinds of stories and it gets me it gives me I get reinvigorated for the possibilities of, of being able to apply science and video games and have those things work together and then further legitimizing video games. I feel like video games always have to defend themselves and I, I dream for a time when they don't necessarily have to do that anymore. Absolutely. Gaming is sort of, I feel like at this stage, it's coming out of kind of its adolescent period. Um, you know, gaming started off as, as the sort of childhood stage where it was cute and cuddly and, and everybody, you know, loved to play with it. And it was, you know, nothing, nothing bad about it. And then it got into sort of its rambunctious teenage years with Night Trap and Mortal Kombat <laughs> and um, sort of was the the problem child for a decade or so and you know i guess longer than a decade now but uh, i think a lot of things like even the the military using video games like america's mm-hmm. army as you know, training tools and um it, doctors using video games as uh ways to hone their hand-eye coordination for intricate surgery tactics and things like that it's um it sort of blurred the lines between entertainment and and education i hate that edutainment word but I'm gonna throw it out there anyway <laughs> I love it because it's I, I like it because it is a label to warn you that you're gonna be playing something that's probably terrible but <laughs> you, you will enjoy it for for no valid good reason uh, LGR uh, or not LGR yeah LGR that's lazy game reviews he always he has a lot of great edutainment reviews and and his his enthusiasm for edutainment titles is unparalleled and it, it's contagious in a way and so uh, I, I just have grown this affinity for them based off of him i think i feel like i may be biased against edutainment titles because there's an edutainment title that's the last remaining or one of the two last remaining games that i need for the 3do complete set and it's going to cost me a fortune if i ever actually find it so oh. <laughs> turn me off on the entire genre <laughs> that's rational so well we've met we've mentioned night trap a couple of times now here um, throughout the night and uh, sort of its theme has run through most of our news stories here and and pickups um, but limited run games has been um, widely I guess both we're both huge limited run games fans we both have a mm-hmm. ton of limited run games games but they've been very panned recently across social media um, for how quickly things are selling out. And this has really became, become an issue very recently with uh, Wonder Boy and now Night Trap. Um, what are your thoughts on this whole phenomenon? Do you think limited run games needs to change? Where do you see their business model going? Yeah, I think what this is, I think the business model has to change, which I'll definitely want to talk a little bit about. I think first it's really important to understand the guys who who run limited run games, they, I don't believe they've had 
they have a ton of business experience. You know, one of them uh, was a developer in, at Mighty Rabbit Studios, and then the other one is basically a friend of that developer. Um, and they they hit upon something with limited run games that I'm not sure that they were fully ready to. Now, I, I don't want to do a disservice to their to their history. They've been doing limited run games and, and, and have been operating that as a business for a, a number of years. So they do know what they're doing now. When they started, they didn't necessarily. And I can I can relay this to my own life and that I'm, I'm part of a I, I helped. Uh, I started at a company. I was the first employee at a company that's now grown to about 60 people over the last six and a half years. And so I've and this was my first experience and in, in being part of a business that was growing part of a new business that was growing that sort of thing. So I didn't know much about it. And every single day I learned something new about how to run a business. And I look back and I say, yeah, there's a lot of things we should have done differently. And so it's constantly learning. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening here. You know, they they, they started their company on the premise of a limited run that it's in their name. That's what they do. Limited run. And I think it's a delicate balance to say, yeah, we're limited run games, but for this one game night trap, as an example, though, this could be applied to any release. We're going to now expand our, our run even further. Um, where, where is that boundary between it's no longer a limited run or it's a full release? Uh, you know, part of their purpose is to, uh, give uh, is to create limited editions of of digital games, and that if that's their purpose, if that's their mission, then they have to stick to that. Now, limited can be more than the typical three thousand to sometimes five thousand copies of a game that they release right now. You could release ten thousand copies of a game, and still it would be considered limited. But does that? Uh, cause longtime fans of the company, longtime people who've been interested in the company, does that cause them to uh, look skeptically upon the company, that they're doing something so dramatically different than what their namesake says? Uh, so I, I think there's there's some leniency that needs to be lent there. Um, on the other side, though, they have been promoting Night Trap, actively promoting Night Trap for a long time. Uh, they've been... Uh, they, they, they pr- they're promoting it in a way that would say we really want you to buy this rather than it's here, take it if you want it, which has been sort of their historical uh, MO. So I can see both sides of the coin. I do think that limited run games is going to have to change their business model. In fact, the uh, COO, I believe, um, the C CFO of limited run games, Ben Moore, um, did release a tweet that was um, saying exactly that. And actually, I'll read it real quick because I think it's, I think it's going to make some people pretty happy. It's going to make well, I think it'll make most people pretty happy. He said, um, uh, of course, I'm not able to get to it. Just a second here. This will be an edit point. False. I'm going to let it roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, in that case. Uh, <laughs> God, why can I not spell HTTPS? <laughs> why do there. you even need to put in the HTTPS? I, I don't know. What, are you running you know Netscape what? Navigator? <laughs> I thought it was. I thought it was Go super to important. Go Alta Vista and type in. <laughs> oh man, the cha- the AOL channel does it forces me to put in HTTPS. <laughs> okay, here we go. So the CFO for uh, the CFO for Limited Run Games, uh, Ben Moore, said that uh, in response to a tweet where someone was saying. Uh, this is actually John Riggs uh, saying uh, we love seeing limited run games selling stuff. This was at the, I'm guessing, the Missouri uh, Game Con that was uh, in August uh, just recently. Yep. Uh, there's a whole table. He has a picture, a whole table of these of these uh, limited run games, which, by the way, I'll point out just right real quick, are the, they're still selling for $25, which I love. I love that they're sticking to their original sell price, even though these things they could, if they wanted to, sell them at this conference for twice that much. Uh, people would probably hate them for it, but they could, and they could make uh, more profit. Um, that tweet was followed by uh, someone saying the only way to get their games now, sadly, at least the popular ones, is, of course, by uh, convention. So Ben Moore says, not for long. We're trying something new with the with Ease Experimentally. Ease, is that right? Yep. Uh, how you pronounce that? Yep. Ease Experimentally. We've heard and seen the outcry. We've got to try something new, which I really, really, really respect. Uh, this tweet doesn't have nearly as many likes as it should. Um, I like that he's being transparent. He's telling people we recognize something's wrong. And I think that's really important from a business owner perspective is to vocalize when you know something's wrong so that 
there are no lingering assumptions about whether or not you are aware of the problem. You know, they're aware of this problem. They're going to try something new. I don't know what this trying something new is. I don't. They, I don't think they've announced what this trying something new is. I don't think Ease is even one of their newer or upcoming releases. I think there's a few before that. So I wouldn't anticipate immediate change. But again, I wouldn't anticipate a business to make immediate changes. They've really got to think through their whole uh, their whole philosophy. Well, and they and they have. Uh, significant production time lag as well, especially when Sony's in its peak season for production here during the summer when they is when they typically ramp up all of the production at their facilities for the the winter and Christmas you know blockbusters and and volume hike. Um, so I mean that's that's really what leads to this lag that we talked about earlier um, in the limited mm-hmm. run games release schedule where you order a game and and it may not come out. Or you may not actually receive it for several weeks or months, or um, because a lot of the the purchasing is done and it's in the pipeline with Sony and a small publisher like Limited Run Games isn't going to have the cachet to edge their way into line in in front of say EA's production run of Madden, um, so they sort of get nudged to the back of the line um, pretty pretty constantly. So. My guess is their order for most of the stuff that's already announced, including Yeast, is is already set in stone that they're not going to be able to increase. Uh, if they had planned something for two thousand games, and now suddenly they think, well, maybe maybe we have maybe this is a four thousand game run. My guess is that is out of the question entirely in in general. Um, but one thing that that this really became a problem and you touched on it. They, they had really promoted the heck out of night trap for a long time. And, and really I, as when they were doing that, I sort of saw this coming. Um, but night trap and wonder boy, both were their two largest print runs. I believe both of them were 5,000 copies of the game. Um, and as you mentioned, most of their games are more in the, uh, from 2000 to 4,000 is a big run for them. Um, Growth is a really... People underestimate how difficult growth is to manage for a business. Um, It's difficult for people who have degrees in business, who have built careers in business, um, let alone someone who is um, not, you know, not a business person by trade. Um, you know, Josh, limited run Josh, Josh Fairhurst is a, is a game developer, game programmer. Um, and, and Douglas Bogart is, um, you know, as you mentioned, his friend, I'm not sure what background I know Doug worked a lot in, uh, like retail and that sort of thing. So he has, he has experience with retail, but it's, it's an entirely different thing when you're sort of responsible for, for planning the, the whole shebang. All that being said though, I think we can all agree that it's incredibly unfair for Sony to say, hey, limited run games, I know you have high demand for this game that is objectively terrible for and for no good reason people really want to play it again, but I have more important games to print before yours. That's unfair, Sony. <laughs> <laughs> it's certainly unfair, but I mean, when you look at it from Sony's perspective, they're, they're not going to hold up a, a game that's going to add to their... I think they they'd sold something like 600 million PlayStation games so far since the uh, PlayStation 4 games so far um and you know when you look at all of the all of the LRG titles combined you know I don't think they've moved 200,000 copies you know uh, maybe I didn't stress just how terrible Night Trap is okay it's a terrible <laughs> game and people want it and that's important you know what Audience, I think you, you've you've listened to. Uh, thank you for listening to the final episode of <laughs> uh, of uh, Masters of Unlocking. Uh, we will just not see eye to eye, Scott and myself. Uh, grand but, opening, grand closing. <laughs> well, thank you though, seriously, everyone for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, before we go here, uh, we'll each kind of say where we are online, so you can find us. We would really appreciate you finding us. Uh, and talking with us individually and collectively and all that kind of sort of fun stuff. Uh, I can be found at Caleb J. Ross, C-A-L-E-B, the letter J-R-O-S-S, all one word, pretty much anywhere. That's that's my name I use everywhere, whether that's from Twitter, uh, YouTube, also called Burning Books on YouTube. Uh, that's YouTube is where I, I think I do my most fun stuff. Twitter is where I'm probably most... Um, most present. Uh, what about you, Scott? Where can people find you? People can find me on the interwebs as VG Collectaholic. Um, it's VGCollectaholic.com, VG Collectaholic on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram. 
um, you know, pretty much anywhere, uh, anywhere the internet where people get together and talk about useless crap, you can find me um, on the internet wasting my time. AOL chat rooms. AOL chat rooms. AOL Instant Messenger. <laughs> ICQ. Um, Ooh. You know, even Eudora. Get out your Eudora and email me <laughs> at vgcollectaholic at vgcollectaholic.com, um, and I will get right back to you uh, as soon as my AOL time, my minutes have, have come back, you know, full next month. <laughs> That's awesome. And are we on, um, where can people subscribe to us? You would know more about this than I would. So let me know kind of where people can subscribe to us, how they can actually contact us on the show. And also before you do that, I will encourage people, uh, if you have a question um, or, or anything you'd like us to talk about or discuss or elaborate upon, feel free to send each of us individual, uh, individually at our Twitter accounts um, and just kind of ask those questions. Let us know. Uh, we would appreciate that. Yeah, the you can you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and uh, Google Play Store. Um, we're looking into to more avenues as well uh, in the, the podcasting realm. Also, uh, we have a new Twitter account. Uh, so the podcast has a Twitter account. It has become self-aware. The singularity <laughs> is coming. It is MOU podcast uh, at MOU podcast. Um, and soon we will have a podcast website, ladies and gentlemen. This is the height of technology. Um, as soon as I can dust off my HTML skills, crack my knuckles and type in that blink code that we all like so much, um, <laughs> you will be able to find us at mastersofunlocking.com, which I'm somewhat stunned was available. Um, but yes, feel free to, to check us out on the interwebs uh, as, uh, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll have a, a fantastic Barry, um, a Barry sound clip to really drive this point home here. <laughs> a sound clip that we aren't a part of. It's <laughs> <laughs> the best part of our show. Uh, and of course, you can find both of us hanging out at the Cartridge Club. That's cartridgeclub.org. Click on the little forum section there at the top nav. Um, at least for now, they're they're actually coming up with a brand new website. So I don't know where that nav will be. You'll have to you'll have to poke around, but I assume it's still going to be at the same domain, cartridgeclub.org. It's a lot of fun. Join us, uh, talk with us. Very open, welp- welcoming gaming community. A lot of great content creators there, um, from YouTube content creators, podcast hosts. Uh, it's just a really, really great community. And on that note, uh, please subscribe, and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Take care, folks. Bye.